Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, everyone, to the On Poly Podcast. I'm Steve Pakin. And I'm John Michael McGrath. We're on every weekday during this 43rd Ontario election campaign. Today on the pod, the Liberals try to penetrate Fortress Peel region. The Greens are in the Hammer, Peel region, and Central Ontario, with the great green hope of Perry Sound Muskoka and the former federal Green Party leader. A new poll says the public isn't particularly enamored with any of the choices in this campaign. And Sabrina Nanji joins us from the Queen's Park Observer to look back at the last full week of this campaign. It's Friday, May 27th, 2022, day 24 of the campaign. So let's get to it. Welcome back again to Sabrina Nanji from the Queen's Park Observer, who's been with us every Friday. And Sabrina, I really want to start with the uh, what I thought was the high water mark of the campaign yesterday when Stephen Del Duca, during his morning appearance, uh, absolutely blasted the NDP for what he accused the leader, Andrea Horvath, of um, losing her way, uh, misogyny against liberal female candidates. Just let's start with you reminding everybody what that issue is all about and then your take on it. Yeah, I think this one seems to have maybe backfired a little bit on the Liberals and Stephen Del Duca, but essentially uh, over in Chatham-Kent-Leamington, which is uh, PC territory, the Grits have lost yet another candidate. So now they're three short of a full slate of 124. Uh, But essentially what happened is they had initially lost a candidate who got the boot uh, before the deadline to sign up because of homophobic slurs that that they had made on social media, uh, you know, back when they were, uh, you know, a younger person. Uh, and so the grits kind of brought in a ringer. And it turns out that the NDP ended up complaining, alleged uh, making allegations to Elections Ontario that this new candidate that came in, uh, she had used the signatures from the initial candidate who was later dropped, uh, which is a big no-no that's against the rules. And so Elections Ontario had confirmed to the NDP that they were investigating these allegations. Uh, and then the Liberals just dropped her, raising a, a lot more questions questions in my view. Uh, and instead of addressing those questions, Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca kind of flipped the script on the NDP and said that, uh, you know, this is sexism, it's misogynistic, how dare the NDP attack, uh, you know, a, a woman candidate who, uh, you know, the Liberals fi- finished in third place there. So uh, I guess maybe we can talk a little bit more about whether, you know, she was maybe a little bit of a sacrificial lamb and who's really kind of, you know, uh, maybe this is a tokenistic uh, uh, you know, pledge about about running women and that sort of thing. That's a whole other conversation, I think. But uh, the the NDP fired back. You know, this is a serious allegations of fraud. You know, why is Del Duca making this about sexism? He's essentially giving this story a lot more oxygen. But I think at the end of the day, it just kind of shows you how much these two parties are going at it. Uh, and that kind of has Doug Ford and the Conservatives sitting back and letting these guys <laughs> self own themselves. Uh, your point about the, uh, I mean, this is a riding in which the Tories, I would say, are very heavily favored. The Liberals came in third last time and, and a distant third. I mean, 2018 was a bad year for the Liberals, but it was 8% for the Liberal in that riding. Uh, so uh, that's uh, just context. But um, 
really no attempt by Del Duca to uh, moderate or, or walk back his comments at all this morning. Uh, Andrea Horvath, y- yesterday afternoon, uh, you know, pushed back on uh, Del Duca's attacks, uh, saying, you know, he-, he shouldn't be making these kinds of allegations about sexism until he's walked a mile in a woman's shoes. Um, what are your thoughts on, on that? <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, again, I think this one is backfiring, you know, not a good look, especially it's a, a woman journalist asking these questions. Del Duca kind of came off a bit mansplainy, if I can put it that way. But you're right, like, why kind of, uh, you know, give this story oxygen, create a whole other drama in a writing that, you know, if we're looking at 2018, they, they didn't really have much of a shot there. Uh, you know, Andrea Horvath hasn't exactly... Uh, you know, played the woman card, if I can put it that way. Uh, I don't know why. I think, you know, that could end up working in her favor to kind of lean into that a little bit more. Um, but, you know, from liberals that I've been hearing from, uh, they're really not happy about this. And it kind of speaks to the the Grit's larger promise, you know, to have gender parity on the ticket, more diverse candidates. Uh, I think they were going for 30 under 30 and they didn't quite get that. Um, but when you're running these diverse candidates, especially when you make the pledge to do that. It doesn't just matter to have gender parity or more diverse, uh, you know, candidates on your roster. You also need to run them in winnable ridings. And so a lot of people are calling this a a tokenistic pledge. Um, And again, you know, it just kind of shows you how uh, intense the the back and forth between the Liberals and the NDP are, which we are seeing in the polls. And I guess I should just add, you know, the candidate, she did step down. She called this mudslinging, personal attacks, that she's stepping back, uh, you know, her statements that she's stepping back because she wants to protect her reputation. But at the end of the day, these are serious fraud allegations. And this really shouldn't have to do with being a woman or not. And so I think this has, you know, angered a lot of a lot of uh, grits. But I do think we are kind of talking inside baseball at the end of the day, like Chatham, Kent, Leamington, obviously, they won't have a liberal to vote for uh, if they wanted to vote for them. And so uh, this might end up working out in the NDP's favor because those votes might go uh, towards the NDP, like, I guess the anti-Ford sentiment. That's actually normally a writing you don't have to look at on election night because it is so reliably true blue, except this year I think we might have to because uh, the former sitting member, Rick Nichols, was booted from the PC caucus and he's running for another party, the Ontario Party. Uh, led by, oh gosh, what's that guy's name again? Derek yes. Sloan. Yes. Um, and so, you know, not only have you got a PC candidate, but you got the former PC candidate running there. So things might just be a little curiouser than normal on election night. And while we're talking about the Tories, I do, Sabrina, want to ask you about the event that took place at the Hamilton Airport last night. A civil rights lawyer was arrested and removed from the event, even though she had registered and had an invitation to be there. What was your takeaway from events last night? Yeah, uh, I mean, I thought, you know, for one, I guess the, the I have my political hat on always. So I thought it was very interesting and a bit cheeky. It kind of shows you just how confident the PCs are feeling to have this rally so close to Election Day uh, over in Andrea Horvath's turf uh, in, in Steeltown. Uh, and, you know, this this is uh, kind of blowing up on social media, of course. Like, there's a lot of questions about, uh, you know, what happened, but there's all these allegations flying that, uh, you know, Ford staffers directed this arrest. Um, you know, we, we don't really know... Uh, Obviously, that that 
the, the, the you know political staffers don't direct the police in, in any in any way and, and nor not should supposed they to anyway yeah but but there's a lot of questions about this and I, again you know I think not a good look uh, we have had Ford and even you know dozens of his candidates dodging um, uh, you know local town hall debates uh, even Ford has been kept out of the you know our line of fire in the media quite a bit uh, the rare times he does you know have a media availability and we have the opportunity to ask him questions. They're they're cut very short. They're very tightly controlled. Um, And so I I think this is maybe playing into that theme a little bit. Uh, Obviously, that strategy has been working for the conservatives, but uh, there is some liability to holding these rallies and and public events. Uh, Even, you know, his his camp was uh, keeping it on the down low, I should say, like uh, where some of his events have been because there have been protesters there, you know, and it's, of course, uh, when you're the... uh, you know, seeking re-election, there are there are many protesters and people upset with the policies. I know a lot of families uh, with children on the autism spectrum have been protesting, and because Doug Ford, uh, his his uh, advisories uh, and itineraries haven't been so open as the rest of the leaders, people have been forced to go protest outside his constituency office, which he's he's not there, you know, uh, as much uh, in Etobicoke as as another spot. So I think again, not a good look. He's rallying again uh, over in Kitchener. Uh, I, I'm sure we'll see much more. More of those in the final days, so I think you know things could get a little more intense uh, uh, over the next little while. Uh, you've alluded to the final days; less than a week to go in this campaign. Do you imagine we'll see anything really substantial uh, change in the state of play in the next six days? Yeah, like the big story has been there's not much of a story of this campaign, right? Like we're kind of all saying the same thing that we've been saying since day one, which is the conservatives are, you know, uh, on track to get a second majority mandate while the NDP and and liberals kind of go back and forth for second place. I think we have seen the liberals kind of overtaking the NDP a little bit more. Of course, everyone's leaking internal memos that say they're they're the the best position to, you know, uh, come out on top on on June 2nd. Uh, But I think we're going to see a lot more intense campaigning and I'm going to be paying attention to where the leaders are going because that kind of can give us some insight in how confident they're feeling or not. Uh, I think, you know, we've already seen it starting today. The Liberals will be hanging around the 905 and the 416, probably where they have the most to gain. Uh, The NDP... I think they're going to be shoring up seats that they won in 2018, 40, which, you know, every expert and pundit and pollster that I've been talking to says it's not a question of if the NDP loses seats, but how many they lose. And so they'll be um, going hard in, you know, St. Catharines, Niagara, Hamilton, I think. Uh, Part of their strategy uh, we've talked about before was to target PC held ridings, you know, ridings they didn't win uh, in 2018. So I think we'll see a bit of that flip. Um, It was interesting to me, like I said, that that Ford and and the PCs were rallying over in in NDP territory. Uh, I think that shows they're feeling pretty good. But he was also door knocking around Kitchener, Conestoga and Brantford Brant, which, uh, you know, are are currently PC held, but uh, they were among the closest races for the conservatives. So uh, I I think everyone's going to be pushing their get out the vote machine as well. uh, And, you know, expect a lot more of that mudslinging to come out in these last few days. Indeed. Sabrina, as always, thanks for joining us, as you have every Friday during this writ period. And uh, as I always tell the other guy at the end of our podcast, we'll see you out there on the hustings. Yeah, hang in there, guys. Thanks so much. Sabrina Nanji from the Queen's Park Observer. Well, let's actually, uh, John Michael, pick up from where Sabrina left off, which is to say where the candidates are going and why. 
And uh, boy, if this doesn't tell you what battleground Ontario is uh, in the last week of the campaign, nothing will. The Liberals, the New Democrats, and the Greens were all in Peel Region today. Mississauga has six seats. They all went Tory in the last election. Brampton has five seats. And last time, they went three to the NDP and two to the PCs. So that's some great battleground between those two parties there. Uh, the Liberals got none last time, and obviously they'd like to stick their or back in the water in Peel region. So Peel tends to vote in waves. You like the way I use that metaphor of the or? And then you're very nautical today. I'm, I'm digging they, it. <laughs> <laughs> the or and the waves. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to be on water here and just go zen <laughs> with the whole thing. Um, so this is, anyway, crucial battleground territory in the last week of the campaign. Stephen Del Duca did three events in Mississauga today. He did one more in Brampton. He visited a mosque in Mississauga. He visited a mosque in Brampton. Uh, but he started his day talking about the proposed Highway 413. The worst part of it all is the independent study, the independent analysis that I commissioned when I was Minister of Transportation on this very highway, came back with a unanimous recommendation for the government to not proceed. The Liberals have made the uh, environmental and, and land use arguments about Highway 413. Today, Stephen Del Duca made the financial argument saying it would cost every Ontario household $2,000 to build uh, the 413. We don't have a, an official formal cost estimate for the 413, but the, the estimate that has been tossed around based on uh, you know previous reporting is as much as $10 billion. Uh, Del Duca and the Liberals have said they would spend that money on uh, teachers and new schools and, and education more broadly, uh, you know, says that, uh, you know, his government, if he were to form government, uh, would kill the 413 at the very first uh, Liberal cabinet meeting. Also emerging from this morning's Q&A with reporters was the news that the Liberal leader said his top legislative priority, this is not cabinet, but legislative priority, would be repealing Bill 124, his top priority. And he says he's got extra money in his financially costed plan to deal with what would be, obviously, higher than currently expected labor costs. Um, I guess I, in the interest of full disclosure, we got to mention here that TVO, as a public agency, a crown agency, falls under Bill 124. So we are caught by that. But why don't you pick up the story from there, John Michael? Sure. So this is uh, really one of the signature pieces of Tory legislation uh, from uh, just a bit before the pandemic. Uh, Bill 124. Uh locks in uh, increases to uh, public sector employee uh, collective bargaining agreements. They can grow no more quickly than 1% a year. Uh, Stephen Del Duca obviously uh, showing, you know, by, by putting a spotlight on this, by saying it is his top uh, legislative priority, uh, you know, I, I think you could fairly say he's trying to signal to public sector labor unions that the liberals would be an ally to uh, public sector labor. Uh, I don't believe any unions in the, the province's public sector have endorsed the, the Liberals generally. Uh, OPSU has endorsed the NDP. We've seen some endorsements of uh, New Democrats and some Greens uh, as, as individual candidates, but uh, no, uh, I, I don't think we've seen any endorsements uh, heading the Liberal way. Uh, I, I should add, going to take a process nerd moment here. Uh, we've, we've had the first cabinet priority is killing Highway 413. The first legislative priority is Appealing uh, Bill 124, you can actually tell which order those would occur in because in uh, after an election, 
if the liberals were to form government, uh, they would assemble their cabinet first, and they would have their first cabinet meeting, and then they would decide when to recall the House, uh, where the first order of business would be uh, electing a speaker, then we would get a throne speech, and then, and only after you'd gotten the throne speech, would you actually start the, <laughs> the actual legislative priorities of the government, uh, and that would all come after the cabinet has been formed. So uh, just uh, laying that uh, potential scenario out to our listeners. <laughs> And that, ladies and gentlemen, was a very McGrath moment. I think we're going to have to call these McGrath moments going forward because that was <laughs> a very McGrath moment. I, I'm taking that as job security because you can't very well have a different co-host. <laughs> no, there you go. Yeah, take that to the bank for sure. Um, Stephen Del Duca was also asked if he intended to spend more time in his riding over the next week, given that his is the tightest race of all the four major party leaders. I have been knocking on doors in my riding, as has my wife. Uh, my daughters, my 83-year-old dad was out just a few days ago with my older brother knocking on doors, having a great time. And I'll be back in the riding uh, on more than one occasion between now and Election Day. As I've said repeatedly, it's a community that I love so, so much. It's a community that my wife and I have chosen to raise our young daughters in. And as the former MPP for six years, I worked very hard and I believe my neighbors understand how hard I worked. So just to, to build on that a bit, you know, Doug Ford is going to win in Etobicoke. Just to build on that a little bit, you know, we very much expect Doug Ford to win in Etobicoke North. We very much expect Andrew Horvath to win in Hamilton's center. Uh, Mike Schreiner, very likely to win in Guelph. Uh, but Stephen Del Duca in Vaughn Woodbridge is up against Michael Tobolo, who, uh, of course, won the race last time and has sat as a cabinet minister for several years now. Uh, it, it is going to be a very, very tight contest. We'll see competing uh, polls uh, of the riding, uh, competing estimates of, of who is in first and what the role of smaller parties might be in terms of uh, potentially pulling uh, votes away from Tobolo, uh, at least on the conservative flank. You know, we are not there yet. We won't be there until uh, Thursday night, uh, at least. But you have to know that there is speculation in uh, the liberal backrooms about what to do if Stephen Del Duca doesn't win his seat. Uh, of course, at the moment, he has only said that he's going to win. Uh, he's expressed a, a great deal of confidence in that. Uh, you know, but it also depends on how big of a caucus the Liberals uh, do elect uh, after uh, election night. I mean, the, the traditional uh, response, if the leader doesn't win their seat, is that somebody in a safe liberal seat resigns and the leader uh, gets to uh, run in the, the ensuing by-election. Uh, of course, the timing of the by-election is then up to the premier, uh, who would not be Stephen Del Duca in this uh, scenario. So it gets really, really messy uh, very quickly. I have actually just uh, checked my email because I wanted to see what the latest figures are coming out of Vaughn Woodbridge. And Aaron Kelly from Advanced Symbolics, Inc. says there has been a rally to the progressive conservatives. And Aaron Kelly from Advanced Symbolics, Inc., you know, she's got this artificial intelligence algorithm known as Polly that does constant uh, surveying of uh, uh, vastly larger sample sur uh, sizes. And she, a few days ago, had Del Duca up by 2.2% in that riding. Now the progressive conservatives are up by 0.1%. So we've got a, I mean, it's essentially a tie. It is absolutely going to come down to the wire uh, in Vaughn Woodbridge. They're going to call him Landslide Michael. <laughs> <laughs> whoever wins that one, it's going to be Landslide whoever, yeah. You know what that's from originally, right? Do you remember where that started? 
Uh, I heard it uh, first referring to the liberal in Sudbury a few years back. But oh, okay. Well, th- th- this will not shock you, but I go back even further than that. And uh, this goes back to Ernie Eves in 1981. Ernie Eves won, I can't, I think it was the writing of Perry Sound then. I don't think it was called Perry Sound Muskoka at the time. He won by six votes. And they used to call him Landslide Ernie. <laughs> and, um, or sometimes it was six votes Ernie. Um, and somebody got him a hockey jersey as a joke, I think shortly thereafter with the number six on the back. But... Uh, Anyway, that's the first time I ever heard somebody called landslide anybody. Uh, Shall we move on? Let's go to um, Andrea Horvath's campaign today. The NDP leader was in Scarborough and Hamilton and Paris, Ontario and Mississauga today as well. So I am going to scrap Bill 124 and I am going to make sure uh, that there's a respectful bargaining environment uh, for for all workers that that provide the the things that people rely on uh, to help help them build a good life. She was also talking about Bill 124 and the need to get rid of it. She also talked about the need to implement 10 paid sick days of leave, uh, all of it uh, emerging as a result of COVID-19, of course, and reminding everybody that an NDP government would increase the minimum wage by a dollar every year until they get to $20 by the year 2026. Horvath was asked about Doug Ford's rally in Hamilton uh, yesterday night and whether uh, she felt like the NDP or or her personally were on the defense uh, because the uh, PC party is is in Hamilton and she is heading to Hamilton herself. Uh, You know, she laughed about it, uh, had a a fun little line about, you know, hey, Doug, welcome to the hammer. I hope you had a good time. It was a a bit of a a moment of levity. (laughs) Meantime, Green Party leader Mike Schreiner was in a very green part of the province today. Uh, also in the Hammer, the vast public Gage Park in Hamilton's East End. Solutions that will address the climate emergency while at the same time addressing people's affordability concerns and uh, their economic concerns, setting our province up to be a global leader in the fast growing and emerging markets of the new climate economy. The Greens are proposing to really uh, emphasize transit-oriented development, building homes along transit corridors, uh, more affordable housing along, uh, in this case, they were referring to the Hamilton LRT route. Uh, they also want to cut transit fares in half for everyone and make transit free for high school students and people on lower incomes. So lots of, of transit and affordability uh, planks in the uh, Green announcement today. I didn't go to Mr. Schreiner's announcement, but I did watch it on Zoom as uh, that's that's sort of the way we keep in touch with all these things. We can watch two or three or four of the leaders do their thing if we just move from Zoom feed to Zoom feed to Zoom feed. Um, but I couldn't help but ask him about a poll that you and I talked about, I think it was yesterday, in which the Green candidate, Matt Richter, uh, currently, again, if the poll is accurate, has a lead in Perry Sound, Muskoka, which is normally a very safe PC riding. And uh, Mr. Schreiner, funnily enough, uh, in answering my question, quoted me back to myself <laughs> in <caught> saying, <laughs> he said, Steve, polls are a good indication of what people thought yesterday, but they don't necessarily tell you what people are going to do in a week's time, uh, which is very true. You know, he very clearly not wanting to signal to uh, either green voters or green volunteers in Perry Sound, Muskoka, that this thing is at all in the bag, doesn't want anybody to take their foot off the gas. Uh, You know, he says there will be an all time high number of canvassers in that riding over the weekend to, uh, you know, ensure that lead, if it in fact exists, uh, doesn't evaporate over the last week of the campaign. And, you know, that that happens. That's a kind of story that, you know, plays out in elections. Um, They are 
are making a really, really big push in Paris Sound Muskoka this weekend. Uh, you know, they've sent, sent out a few invites for reporters. Uh, I already made my trip to Paris Sound Muskoka, so I will not be going out uh, again. But, you know, clearly they want uh, the world to know about uh, all of the energy they are putting into that riding. They really don't want to leave anything to chance there. Well, Mike Schreiner was also asked about the arrest that was made at Doug Ford's rally in Hamilton last night. Uh, Karima Saad, who is a civil rights lawyer, um, what do we want to call her? Citizen journalist as well. She gets out there and she takes pictures and tweets and takes videos and tweets and uh, sort of keeps people up to scratch with what's happening politically. Uh, She did a lot of good work actually down at the trucker convoy in Ottawa, letting people know what was going on down there. Well, she was arrested by the police at the Hamilton event of the PC party. Uh, I mentioned earlier with Sabrina, she signed up. She followed all the rules. She signed up to go to the thing. She got confirmation that her invitation was accepted. She brought her invitation with her. Uh, Then she was told when she tried to enter the event that, uh, sorry, you are not here for the quote-unquote right reasons. And so she was asked to leave. She declined to leave. She showed her invitation. She was then handcuffed and taken away by the police. Schreiner, when asked about this, he said it looked totally inappropriate. Uh, our listeners can find this video on Twitter. It will not be difficult to to find. Uh, you know, and frankly, it, it does look like the police uh, overreached. Uh, there's, frankly, a history of police forces in Ontario uh, arresting uh, journalists generally. I certainly include citizen journalists among that count. Um, I've said this before, but I only ever think of my journalism as uh, a right that adheres to all citizens. Uh, so I, when somebody gets arrested like this, I, I think it's personal in a sense that it, it any attack on journalists is an attack on all citizens. And I'm just going to stop. I'll get off my soapbox there. Hmm. Um, but the video looks bad, even if it weren't about journalism. You've got three large male police officers arresting uh, one woman who does not look particularly threatening. It looks like, you know, uh, there was a, a struggle of some kind. Uh, it's just not a good look at all. Uh, I'll get back up on that soapbox if you're going to get off it for a second. Uh, I'll say I'll say the video looked terrible. Uh, I'll say you had three large, and I'm sorry, I'm going to introduce this element into it. You had three large white male cops uh, using in in my view, excessive force to arrest a young black woman uh, who was not resisting arrest at all. Uh, If you watch the video, you will see she was politely asking the police, may I give my cell phone to my friend who was with me here? And they forbade her from doing that. She asked a few times, quite politely, and they forbade her from doing it. And eventually, one of the police officers reached his hand rather aggressively into her pocket, ripped the cell phone out, uh, and took it away. Not a good look, John Michael? Yeah, well beyond that. Really not a good look. The whole thing stank, frankly. All right, let's move on. Finally, Angus Reid has a poll out suggesting what I suspect a lot of us have felt for a long time. I don't include myself in that. I actually am speaking, uh, referring there to the broader population of Ontario. And that is, no major party leader appears to really have a terrific, enthusiastic endorsement from the electorate at all. You want to go into some of the numbers here? Sure. We've got uh, findings that nearly two-thirds of Ontarians uh, 
do not find uh, progressive conservative leader Doug Ford appealing, but they don't much care for New Democrat leader Andrew Horvath or liberal leader Stephen Del Duca either. Uh, nobody really winning the uh, individual charm offensive here. <laughs> uh, having said that, if an election were held today, uh, Angus Reid finds that the progressive conservatives would win 38% of the vote, the liberals 26 and the NDP 24. Uh, 38% is not usually what you would think of a safe majority government territory. Uh, but uh, I mean, two things here, when it's a 12 point gap between uh, first and second place, you feel pretty secure there. Uh, and also it matters who comes out to vote. Uh, as we discussed yesterday, the Tories tend to have deeper support among older voters uh, who are very, very likely to actually show up and not just answer an opinion poll, uh, whereas uh, the Liberals and New Democrats uh, both score higher with younger voters who are, let's say, relatively more likely to answer the survey than they are to actually vote. What did the campaign manager for one of the progressive parties say that I quoted in yesterday's program? They always break our hearts. They do. Those young people, they always break our hearts. Well, we'll see. They got uh, they got less than a week left to show that um, they're prepared to go out there and actually put an X on a ballot. I think I once described uh, mobilizing the youth vote as the equivalent of like fusion power in politics. If anybody ever actually cracks it in a, like a, a repeatable way, figures out how to get young voters out to the, the ballot box in a... In a verifiable, uh, consistent way, it will revolutionize politics. And until somebody actually does that and can prove that they've done that, it you have to treat it always with some skepticism. Right on. Well, the federal liberals pr- proved as with cold fusion, you can do it once. They did it once in 2015, but they could never replicate it in, in a lab or on a campaign after that. Uh, Okay, I guess that's it for us today. During this writ period, we do our quotes of the week on Fridays, and we're going to present one quote from each of the four major party leaders as we've been doing, and we'll do that immediately after we ask you to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. We do love your feedback, good, bad, or indifferent. You can also shoot us an email at onpolitics at tvo.org. We also want to remind you to read our weekly On Poly newsletter, which drops every Tuesday. You can subscribe to that at tvo.org slash onpoly newsletter. And our newsletter this week is about, what do we do? We're, we're picking the two like biggest moments of the campaign. In our in our opinion, what were the two biggest moments? I'm, uh, yeah. I'm still mulling over. I, I, I know my first. I'm mulling over the second. <laughs> Uh, normally, I think in campaigns, we have a choice of maybe five to ten big moments to choose from. I'm not sure the list is going to be that long this time, but um, we'll put our thinking caps on and see. We're, we're going to sharpen our pencils or something and there <laughs> try to figure this out. <laughs> okay, here come our quotes of the week. I mean, let's be really crystal clear about this. Let's not try to muddy the waters and compare, compare apples to oranges. There is nothing in any of the expenses highlighted in the story that is in any way, shape, or form a top-up for an MPP, unlike what we saw earlier in this campaign from the Conservative Party. I want to be crystal clear about that. You know, Robert, I always say the only poll that counts is on election day. We always run like we're in, we're in last place. I tell our team, uh, run like we're in last place. Don't stop door knocking all the way up to June the 2nd. And then the real work uh, begins, God willing. We have an opportunity to serve the people of Ontario. I feel great, uh, but the sniffles, I thought, you know, even though I'm testing negative, it's, uh, it's probably uh, better just for this one last day to, to, stay, uh, to stay put. We have the leadership to deliver on a more affordable, healthy, prosperous, and climate-ready Ontario. This week's episodes were produced by Katie O'Connor and Matthew O'Mara. 
Editing from Matthew, Larry Curry, and Gil Masuda. Production support from Nikki Ashworth, Albert Wisco, and Jonathan Hallowell. And as always, special thanks to Sabrina Nanji for joining us. That's day 24 of this 43rd general election campaign. We'll be back in your feeds on Monday. JMM, you have yourself a great weekend, and we'll see you back on the hustings. See you next week, Steve.